Okay, everybody, we're back to our study in 1 John chapter 3. Now, we took a break last week because we had the online vacation Bible school, which, by the way, in case you were talking with maybe some of your friends and, and they were interested in that but weren't able to participate in it, it's still online if they want to, to go there and, and check it out and to be able to watch the videos together and work through those things. And, and they can still download the packet and, and go through it. So, you know, you might still be kind of talking with people and maybe mentioning that they can do that if they're looking for a little bit more uh, biblical studies and stuff that they can do with, with their kids at home at this time. But now we're going to go back into the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 3. Now, uh, I've titled this lesson, Children of God Love One Another. Uh, that's because we're going to look at the first part of it on how we are children of God and how great of a blessing that is. But then it's more than just recognizing we are children of God because we are children of God. Because we are followers of Christ, what does that mean? Well, it means that we need to love one another. Let's take a look at it. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be, has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sin, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. So here in these first few verses, we see this, this beautiful explanation for us being children of God and how great of a thing that is, because we see in verse one that it definitely does demonstrate to us God's love for us because his great love was lavished on us because we are children of God. I mean, that is a, a wonderful way in which we can know God loves us is the fact that he can call us uh, children of God. I mean, think about that. You know, sometimes we kind of uh, maybe take that a little bit for granted, I guess, because, you know, we just sort of have always known that, oh, well, you know, we're children of God and God loves us. He does. But how oftentimes do we stop and think about how great that is? Because at one point or another in our lives, we chose a different path than what God wanted us to do. And by that, I mean, we chose to sin. We chose just like Adam and Eve, whenever they, they partook of that fruit that they weren't supposed to. They were trying to do things a different way besides what God said. We've done that too. It's not usually eating some fruit. It's just something else, some, some other type of sin, something else like, like it, doing the same type of thing. But yet, we can still be called children of God. That's great love. That's wonderful love that God has given to us. And we need to hang on to that and recognize how wonderful that is and really giving us hope in the future. If he can call us children of God now, what does that mean in the future? Well, that's kind of what John continues on. I mean, look at verse 2. I love verse 2 because it, it tells us there's this little phrase in there that says that what we will be has not yet been made known. What do you think we're going to be like? You know, what do you think it's going to be like after this life? Now, I mean, I, I can't tell you all that much because really 
we just get bits and pieces, a few images here and there that, that tell us how great it's going to be, how wonderful it's going to be. You know, sometimes the way that we talk and the, and the way that we might even think about it, you know, we think that the Bible has so much about what the next life is going to be like. But in all honesty, it really doesn't have a lot. But there's all these great images. We know it's going to be wonderful. Now, you know, I said that the Bible doesn't have a whole lot about what life is going to be like. Let me put it to you this way. I don't know that we could really understand it, even if God told us. And I think that's why God doesn't tell us enough uh, more. Uh, he tells us enough. But he doesn't tell us more than what the, the Bible has, because how much of it can we really understand? I mean, how much can we comprehend what a different life is going to be like? I mean, you know, most of us, we're just trying to get a handle on this life and trying to understand how to get through this one, much less what's the next one going to be like? Well, what we're going to be uh, made into is just not yet known. I mean, we don't even know those things. And we are told in verse two that. We know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And then also in verse 3, we see that that deals with uh, purity, that purification, that, that we can be purified. Isn't that wonderful? We can be like him. One thing I like to point out about Jesus Christ is he serves as a wonderful example of what we ourselves are going to be doing. Because just as he was, just as he died, how he was buried, and then he raised up and he, he received a new body, that's how it's going to be for us too. We're going to receive a new body, and we are going to be just like him. You know, Jesus, um, yes, we, we talk about him, that he was a human being, but he still is a human being. Now, he still is God, and he still was God. He always was God, and he always will be God. But he also was a human. He became a human being. And since that time, he seems to have remained a human being. So, yes, we will be like him. We will be raised up from the dead. And we will get a body like his. Won't that be great? I mean, it's, it's just, it's hard to even sort of think about that. But just to try to imagine how great of a thing that is, it, it's wonderful. And then in verses four through six, here what we see is a little bit more explanation about that being able to purify uh, themselves, you know, just like he is pure. What does that mean to be pure? I mean, to be truly pure, that means that there's, there's no fault. There's no, no, nothing wrong. It's pure. Do you imagine that we could be described as pure? You know, a lot of times our thoughts and our actions in this life, they're not always pure. You know, sometimes we're motivated by other things. Sometimes it's, you know, selfish things that we just kind of, uh, you know, we know that we should be doing this, but we really, you know, deep down we want to do something different. How much of the time do we give into that? Well, that's not pure. But we have this hope of being able to be pure. And we see that uh, in verse five here, in him, talking about Jesus Christ, you know, um, there is no sin. And we also see um, in verse six, sorry, that no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. Now, I don't know exactly how all the, the other uh, translations kind of translate this, but I think that I do really like what the NIV does in this verse because it says that, you know, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning because th that's the difference. You know, if we sin, yes, we are going to sin. If you go back to, to verse two, uh, he starts off. I'm sorry, not in verse two. If you go back to chapter two in verse one, he says, my dear children, I write this to you uh, so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. 
So he says he's writing so that we won't sin, but if we do sin, then we do have an advocate. Well, here in this chapter, he's still telling us that we can still have this hope and there is no sin in Jesus Christ, but we, if we live in him, we're not gonna keep on sinning. That doesn't mean that we're not going to sin. We are still going to sin, but we're not gonna live that type of lifestyle. We're not gonna continue to, to uh, sin like that. That's not gonna be a defining feature about who we are because we're gonna be, be freed from that. I mean, that's not just that we're going to be, I'm sorry, I was kind of using that term, but, but what I mean by that is right here, right now, we can be. In fact, if we live in him, we're not going to keep on sinning. That, that's what he says in verse six. We need to recognize that and, and take it to heart. But this isn't all that he says about being children. Let's keep reading. Verses seven through 10 now. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. No one who is born of God will continue in sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning, because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. So here in this passage, we, we start to see these, these two things coming together. Uh, like I said, the title of this lesson is Children of God Love One Another. Well, we see he's addressing us as children. You know, he's addressing his original audience as children, and that also addresses us as children. And he's telling us that we need to love one another. That's going to be a defining feature of those who are in Christ, those who are Christians. We see in verse 8, if you want to know the reason why the Son of God, why Jesus Christ appeared, well, he appeared to destroy the devil's works. What are the devil's works? I mean, think about that. Just, you know, I guess we don't always really dive too much into what the devil's works are, but when you look around the world, I think it's pretty obvious the devil has a strong hold on it, a lot of things around us. But the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself, he appeared to destroy the devil's works. Did he completely accomplish that? In one sense, yes. But in another sense, he showed us a better way, and he showed us a way out, a way away from the devil's works. And so in one sense, uh, yes, he, he did. He destroyed the devil's works. In another sense, uh, not fully, not yet, because he has, he has a plan. There's still another part of what God is going to be doing through Jesus Christ, and, th and that's going to come uh, you know, later on in, in history. But for right now, we see that the Son of God, he appeared. He appeared to destroy the devil's works. Did he destroy it? Think about this. One of the most powerful weapons that the devil really holds against us is that, you know, kind of death, being able to uh, kind of control that to a degree. But yet right here, we see that death itself, it was conquered by Jesus Christ. So how strong is the devil? Well, the son of God, Jesus Christ, is stronger. We see that's why he came. We also see another phrase here in verse 9. Uh, that if we're going to be uh, in Christ, and if Christ is in us, and if God's seed is is in us, then uh, we're not going to be able uh, to keep on sinning. That, that's mentioned again. We've, we've already looked at that in the previous um, section. I just want to bring that up, that there's numerous passages, even here in this same chapter, that bring out the point that, look, if we're going to be Christian, we're not going to be defined by living a, a sinful life all the time. 
In fact, we see in verse 10, that's how you tell the difference between who's the children of God, who the children of God are, and who the children of the devil are. What do you do? Jesus Christ himself put it this way, you know, that you can uh, tell by the fruit of a tree uh, what type of tree it is. That a bad, uh, bad tree is not going to produce good fruit, and a good tree is not going to produce bad fruit. Good tree is going to always produce good fruit. Bad tree is always going to produce bad fruit. That's how you know them. And that's how uh, even we are going to be known as to whether or not we are a child of God or if we're a child of the devil. What do you do? You do what's right or you do what's wrong. And then also we see that that connected with that, that if we are going to be a child of God, then we're going to love our brother and our sister. And it's going to be seen. We're going to know that. So there's more about love, and the rest of this chapter is going to be about love. In fact, the rest of the next chapter is also going to be about love. And I guess if you really want to kind of carry it on over, uh, pretty much the rest of the book is going to continue to be about love. But you might be thinking, and you might have already noticed, we've been talking about love since nearly the very beginning. Yes, we, we have. If you remember that outline uh, of the uh, John uh, chapter 1 from, oh, here we are, trying to get it right. Uh, from the Bible project here, when you look in this area, we see that this is what First John is about. And the two main things are light over here and then love over here. Those are two concepts, two main concepts that appear throughout First John, light and love. But what you see in both of those is they're intermingled between them. Uh, light and love are both very closely connected. Uh, and that light, of course, has to do with kind of the contrast of that with the darkness and even love. It has to do with the contrast of that, of, of just not loving, uh, maybe apathy. Um, but yes, we, we kind of see those things and we're going to continue to see about this love. So let's keep looking. First John chapter three, now verses 11 through 15. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. So here we see that this, this concept of loving one another, it's a message that we have heard from the very beginning. And if you want to know, well, what is he talking about the very beginning? You know, does he mean the beginning of Jesus's ministry? Is that maybe what he means? Because, you know, sometimes you could refer to the beginning as, you know, the beginning of Jesus's ministry. However, look at verse 12. Do not be like Cain. Hmm. If you're going to go back to Cain, do you think maybe whenever John says here, this is the message you have heard from the beginning, we should love one another. Do you think maybe that beginning it goes before Jesus, you know, before Jesus, at least on earth. I mean, if you're talking about Cain, you think maybe this beginning actually is talking about the real beginning of everything, that we should love one another? I think it makes perfect sense. I think we see that. This is one of the commands that, that has not changed from the Old Testament into the New Testament. And I see no reason why this ever is going to change. We should always love one another. We should not be like Cain. You look at Cain, and I mean, it seems like a very extreme example. It is a very extreme example, but I mean, it's the second generation, and we see that he had such hatred that he murdered his own brother. And, you know, we might be kind of quick to judge that, 
But we also find out something here in verse 14. Notice that anyone who does not love remains in death. Do you want life or do you want death to be a defining feature in your life? I mean, I think that we, we, we recognize the importance of that. But if we don't learn to love, then we're not going to learn about true life, this full life that Jesus offers. And in fact, in verse 15, that if we have hatred for our brothers and our sisters, then we're actually called a murderer right there. You want to know how important it is to love one another? Well, you know, we can recognize how, how horrible the sin murder is. But if we hate our brothers and sisters, it's just like we've been a murderer. You know, it, it actually says that you are a murderer. You don't have eternal life in you anymore. No, no. You remain in death if all you have is, is, is stuff other than love. You know, we are called to love. We have to have love in order to, as verse 14 says, to pass from death to life. The way to do that is love. Both the love that Jesus gave us, but also the love that we are called to have for one another. That is how we can pass from death to life and for life to be a defining feature in our lives. And if you want to know what the love of Jesus looks like and how we pass from death to life, he tells us in the very next verse. So many people know John 3.16, but I want us to know 1 John 3.16 as well. So let's look at 1 John 3.16 through 18. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with action and in truth. So here, yes, we know John 3.16. Wonderful verse. I love it. And it tells us about how great uh, the, the love of the Father was that he gave his, his only son. But now look at this. If you want to know what love is, 1 John 3.16 tells us that Jesus laid down his life for us. But you know, this also gets beyond just Jesus laid down his life for us because right there, it's just like John 3.16. But this one, 1 John 3.16, takes it a step farther. And it says, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So what does it mean to love one another? What does that look like? It looks like being willing to lay down your life for your brothers and sisters. Now, sometimes this might mean in a quite, you know, even physical way, you know, in the sense of how Jesus gave his life up. But, you know, even more important than just uh, Jesus Christ dying on the cross, look at how he lived his life. He lived his life to love others, to help others constantly. So giving of your life and laying down your life, it can mean more than just the physical. And I think it should mean more than just the physical. I mean, it's great if, if you're willing to, um, to, to give up your life for somebody else. That does show a great amount of love. But there's multiple ways to give that life. And Jesus Christ is that example. We see this love that he gave. That's what we are called to do for one another, is to show the type of love that Jesus Christ showed us. And how do we love? Verse 18, another thing is, not just words or speech, not just say it, but we also need to, we have a saying today, practice what we preach. Well, it says with actions and in truth. That's the type of love that we are called to show for one another. And we find out uh, there's a few more verses here in this chapter that continues to talk about uh, these commands and what we should do 
and this love that we are called to have. Let's look at that together. First John chapter three, now verses 19 through 24. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if your hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. So now as you look at this section here, there's a few things that I wanna to draw out here. We see that that it's great if our hearts do not condemn us in verse 21. You know, he, he says that right here. You know, look, if your hearts don't condemn you, it's great. We have confidence before God that we can come and we're going to receive whatever we ask for. That's wonderful. But let's face it. Sometimes it seems that our hearts condemn us. What, what happens in that case? Verse 20. He already talked about that. He talked about that first, actually. I went in reverse order. If our hearts do condemn us. We know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Hmm. Does that give us any type of comfort? I mean, think about that. Sometimes we feel guilty about, you know, something that, that, that we've done. And, and guilt is very important. You know, guilt, it, it can help lead us to repentance. But if we're just feeling guilty and we don't have reason to feel guilty, then our hearts in some ways can, can condemn us and, and make us feel like we are condemned. However, how great is God's love? How great is God? We know that God is greater than our hearts. So if our hearts are what's the thing that's holding us back, we know that God is greater. And we know that, that he can help us. So if your hearts don't condemn you, it's great. We know that we're going to get what we ask. If your hearts condemn you, or if your hearts seem to condemn you, then just know God is greater than that and that he can help you through this, these things and he can help us. We also see that that once we can uh, can can come to recognize this and and uh, and live in God, if we are in God, in him, in verse 23, we see that, that we will obey his commands. What are his commands? What is he commanded? Well, there's kind of two things that we see here. One of them is to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And I believe, I know that's kind of weird that I use that term, but I believe that whenever the Bible talks about belief, it includes a lot of things. That, that word believe is very important. In fact, you know, uh, I, I would say do a word study on it sometime. Just kind of look up every time that you see the word uh, belief and recognize that belief and faith are the same Greek word. In both times. So whenever you read about faith, whenever you read about belief, whenever you read about believe, all of those things, it's the same word that's being described in each one of those cases. So this means that we have faith in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. We believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. How powerful is the name of Jesus Christ? In the book of Acts, we're told that, that uh, there is no name at all that we can be saved except for that of Jesus Christ. This is the son of God. How powerful is that name? It is so powerful. We've got to believe in it. We've got to live in it. Have our faith fully rely on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. But not just to believe, 
in the name of Son, Jesus Christ, but also to love one another as he commanded us. So what are his commands? Well, we have a few commands, but here we see that we're called to believe in, his, in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. And then we see all this language about being in him and he is in us and, and all that great, all those great promises coming together in verse 24. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. He gave us a wonderful spirit. He gave us a powerful spirit. And next week, we're going to take a look at that spirit and how great of a gift that is that he gave it to us and what it allows us to do what the spirit within us, God's spirit within us, allows us to do. We'll take a look at that next week.